One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Russia in the summer of 2017. And Neil, uh, 
I, I've had some concerns about the Confederation's Cup. Not concerns. I think it'd be great to qualify. It'd be great for the United States to go. But the U.S. program, as I see it, has put more emphasis on qualifying for the Confederation's Cup and performing at the Confederation's Cup maybe than any other program, uh, football, uh, international football program on the globe. And and what is it? Why is the why, why do you, uh, does U.S. soccer and some analysts like you, some people who cover the national team closely like you, feel like this is such a make-or-break uh, important event for the United States to participate in? Well, I think, it, I mean, it, the obvious answer is that it just dates back to the performance of the team in 2009 in South Africa. And, and the fact that, I mean, forgetting that the team finished second, you know, is a half away from winning an international trophy, but just the experience and the way some of the players and Bob Bradley spoke afterwards about the ability to go to the world cup site um, for us soccer, which could use its vast resources to sort of stake out training grounds that they felt like they could use the following year. They were able to secure um, a base camp. It's just a matter of, of the whole Federation being comfortable with the process they were going to endure the following summer. And then of course, you know, whatever you think of the World Cup group the U.S. was in in 2010, the Americans won the group. Um, and, you know, whether or not that had anything to do with the 2009 Confederations Cup experience, I think there's optics that suggest that's how they feel, that, that at least some in U.S. soccer feel like it helped. They feel like that contributed to winning the group was a comfort level uh, in South Africa. Russia's the kind of country where, you know, maybe having that level of comfort, given all the travel, that will be necessary for that tournament. Um, you know, maybe that's what the emphasis is there for again. So given that the United States doesn't get to compete in the high-level continental competition that, uh, that other countries, particularly in South America and Europe, do, I, I guess there's been this, this emphasis on the, on the Confederations Cup also, not just getting familiar and, uh, with, with the country where the World Cup's going to be hosted. But... Could you argue now that CONCACAF, as we saw in this Gold Cup, has reached a level where they can uh, compete with the United States, beat the United States as Jamaica did, uh, draw with the United States as Panama did twice in this competition, that maybe the value around uh, the Confederations Cup may be overblown? Or, or do you think it, it, has not, it has little to do with uh, not getting great games in your, in your own confederation? Well, if you ask your, when you ask Jurgen Klinsmann about it, he, he says that it's about playing teams from other confederations that are better than what the U.S. faces in CONCACAF, where on any given day, they're the first or second best team in CONCACAF, almost certainly, uh, on paper. I think that the U.S. doesn't get those sorts of matches because the U.S. doesn't play Costa Rica very often for whatever reason. So, you know, you really don't have, you have these Mexico money grab pop-up matches like the one in San Antonio. And then that's it in terms of the high level competition. And even those matches are friendly is where you play on the type of grass they play on at the Alamo Dome. I mean, I think you're on to something <laughs> with, with the notion that it's important for the U.S. to play competitive matches against high level quality opponents. And the U.S. was able to do that in 2009. Yet another reason that people feel like it kind of helped the team gain confidence um, for for the, the World Cup the following year. The U.S. didn't get any of those sorts of matches outside of friendlies by missing uh, the one in, in Brazil. 
And maybe, you know, who knows? Does that affect the way the U.S. approached the Belgium match? Maybe. Um, certainly no one that went to that Confederation Cup in, in Confederations Cup in Brazil really played particularly inspiring football at the, at the World Cup in 2014. So it's an interesting uh, question, I think. So with that, that in mind, that, that, that premise and the importance then of the Confederations Cup to, to building towards the 2018 World Cup, Let's dissect the Gold Cup performance for the United States and the squad selection for Jurgen Klinsmann. Because uh, could it be argued that Jurgen Klinsmann selected a stronger uh, set of players for the friendlies uh, in, in the Netherlands and in Germany, both historic victories, famous victories for the United States, than in the Gold Cup? And, it, 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 and if that's the case, doesn't that kind of debunk the notion that we're building towards Confederations Cup qualifying? And if Confederations Cup qualifying, Neil, is kind of a two-part question for you, uh, it, it, qualifying for the Confederations Cup was that critical, then why did Klinsman leave some of the guys behind for the World Cup that he did? Well, I think that the second answer, the answer to the second question is more befuddling to me than maybe the first question, which is just, I thought that, that, that Jurgen Klinsman called in a team that he felt was similar to the one that, that won on European soil against Germany and the Netherlands. Uh, but I felt like the team that they called in for the gold cup was ill suited to play against the style of teams that they were going to face in the gold cup. I mean, the U S was going to play compact defenses um, and not necessarily be set up in a way where they were going to counterattack a great deal um, like they did in Europe. So the U S had to break teams down. They created the fewest shots of any side in the tournament, including Canada, who didn't score. Um, They created the second least chances at the Gold Cup, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that there there was no bite in the midfield in terms of the ability to break people down. The second answer, I think, is is the interesting one. And, you know, I don't know if this necessarily answers the question, but I think this is one where Klinsman, like this idea of Klinsman, the master tinkerer, who's constantly tinkering with things. I think that affects continuity. I think at the end of the day, there's players have to develop an understanding of one another. And when you don't call in Aaron Johansson, and then you expect him to play off of spaces that Michael Bradley likes to get the ball to, um, you know, there's going to be moments of, of disjointedness. There's going to be problems in attack and in link-up play. And, and these are, that's just one example, Bradley and Johansson. I mean, there's, there's, I think, plenty of other reasons and examples why the U.S. looked somewhat dysfunctional in attack at the Gold Cup. And you wonder, you know, even in, even in, the, in the semifinal game, I mean, they played a 4-2-3-1, and they haven't played a 4-2-3-1 since the first year of, of Klinsman being in charge. I mean, I don't understand why you change your lineup so much and change your formation so much. I think at some point, maybe that has a negative effect on, on the team's ability to, to, to play, you know, fluid football. So you point out two very, very troubling statistics here from the gold cup. The U S had the least shots in the, in the entire tournament. I guess that's on average per match and uh, the second least chances in the tournament. Uh, and that, that includes countries like Canada and Cuba uh, that were uh, and El Salvador that were very poor in this tournament. So, and we know the U.S. got outshot by Haiti. Uh, it got outshot by Panama at the group stage. And I cannot remember if the U.S. was outshot in the Honduras game too, possibly. They were. They were. Okay, so they were outshot in all three group games. He, uh, and it wasn't just shots 
from distance. In the Haiti game, Haiti had far far more clear-cut chances, uh, well, far, far more dangerous chances. Uh, the U.S.'s goal was a little bit against the run of play, quite frankly, right after halftime. So with that in mind, what is it then? Do we have a, a player selection issue? Do we have a, a problem with Jurgen Klinsmann's uh, constant tinkering? Or do we have a situation now where in our player pool uh, we just don't have the talent? Although that could be you, – you could counter that, right, by saying uh, we created an incredible number of chances against Germany and the Netherlands in those friendlies. Yeah, I mean, I think that that the Gold Cup was a combination of continuity and player selection. Um, you know, and I think that that some of it is that, and then some of the Jamaica game was the U.S. not really knowing what to do against teams that were compact when behind. Uh, and if you think about it, that makes some sense because as good as or as, as bad as the U.S. have been, rather, uh, attacking um, in the last, really, two years. They haven't been behind a whole bunch of times um, in competitive matches. I guess against Belgium, uh, they were behind. And against Germany, they had to chase. But they almost were able to get an equalizer in that match. Um, but the U.S. have the U.S. Have had outshot, if you include the Gold Cup, they've outshot an opponent twice. Um, in competitive matches since they qualified for Brazil. Those matches were Cuba. <laughs> okay. All right. And the Panama match that sent Mexico to the World Cup. So that's it. Uh, and then, the, you know, in, in the third place match against Panama, you can take what you want of those matches. But, I mean, Brad Guzan made more saves. In that match, then Tim Howard had to make against Spain in 2009. So and, he actually, and he actually made more saves, I believe, in regular time uh, than Howard did against Belgium. In regular I time. think he may have. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not certain about that. I know that he made more than, than the U.S. had to make against Spain. So the U.S. Is, is doing two things that are very troubling. One, they're not creating chances. And two, um, they're conceding lots of chances. Right. That's, that's a formula for failure. Uh, so, uh, those of you listening to the show live, you can interact with us at Ravel.tv on the broadcast, as some of you already have, or uh, uh, tweeting at me at KKFLA737. Use the hashtag Divers and Cheats. Uh, Atta, our, our friend who hosts Turkish Football Weekly and is a uh, is a frequent uh, guest on on a number of uh, other podcasts, uh, has said, uh, and, and this is interesting, Neil. Uh, let's, let's assess this. I would like to think that MLS has some sort of hand in the development of the game in this region. It's basically the place where CONCACAF players can head to in order to up their game. A couple of quick notes. There were 45 uh, MLS players in the Gold Cup. There were nine players from the Second Division North American Soccer League. There were five players from uh, – or four players, excuse me, from the Third Division USL, including Jamaica's goalkeeper, Ryan Thompson. Uh, so mm-hmm. comment on that. What, what are your thoughts? Is that, is that mean have, – have the U.S. league structure allowed other CONCACAF countries to maybe catch the U.S.? I think it's helping – I, mean, I, don't, I don't think that I don't think that anyone's really caught the U.S. I mean, the U.S. has still won the Hets uh, to qualify, but three consecutive times now. The U.S. is the only country in the region to win a World Cup group this this century. Um, you know, I don't think the U.S. is the only one to reach the quarterfinal. Well, no, Costa Rica. The U.S. is one of two nations to reach the quarterfinals this century. I, I don't think that 
necessarily the United States has been caught, but I think this is an interesting and troubling time for U.S. soccer, which makes that match kind of a tilting point. I don't know if, if one match can be a referendum on the Klinsman era, but I think it's a really critical match because Jurgen Klinsman has emphasized it. He's emphasized qualifying for that tournament. So the failure to do so would be a quali- would be a failure that that Klinsman identified as something that the U.S. would succeed in. Was kind so of so he created the context. So so Nielsen, we're clear. Klinsman himself created the context where. This match now is critical in his tenure because he said we had to qualify for this tournament. Sure. I mean, I, I think, and I think that deep down, if confronted about that, if the U.S. lose, you know, I think, and I, I think, first of all, I think the U.S. soccer media will ask him about that if, if the U.S. are beaten at the Rose Bowl. And I think Klinsman, to his credit, will acknowledge that he put an emphasis on qualifying for this competition. And the failure to do so is a step back for the program. Okay, so with that in mind, let's get right to that game. Let's talk about that uh, because it is uh, there are these exciting playoff clashes, clashes in uh, in UEFA and intercontinental uh, clashes between uh, Concacaf and Comdebol, Comdebol and Oceania, what what have you. Uh, we haven't had one within Concacaf ever, and they're generally for World Cups, right? Qualify for World Cups or Euros. Uh, this is for the Confederations Cup, which makes it a little bit different, but it's a one-off. The playoffs in Europe to qualify for the Euros between third third place teams and uh, World Cups are, are, are home and away. So this is a one-off game, massive stakes. If you, if you buy into the premise that the Confederations Cup is important, regardless of whether you buy into the premise that it's critical for the development of the program and performance in 2018 or not, I guess you would have to concede that it's better to be there than not be there. So... Uh, that puts a lot on this one game, which will be at the Rose Bowl. So let's get right to it. It'll be at the Rose Bowl, which means it'll be largely a pro-Mexican crowd, we have to assume. It is coming right in the middle of the playoff uh, chase in Major League Soccer. It's coming in the middle of the Liga MX season. And it is, in, it is in an international break where players, U.S. players who are playing in the Bundesliga and the Premier League and other uh, leagues in Europe, the Eredivisie in the case of... Uh, uh, oh, excuse me, Aaron Johansson's now in Bundesliga. Uh, but uh, those other leagues will have an international break. So you have a full selection. Uh, no no problems, no preseason going on where there were a couple of U.S. players like Jeff Cameron, who we saw play very well at center back for Stoke this, this past weekend against Liverpool. Uh, he wasn't available for the, goal, uh, for the Gold Cup for selection because Stoke said he's been playing every summer since he signed with us. He needs some time off, and, and, and I agree with that if I'm looking at it from a club perspective. Danny Williams, same deal at Reading. So uh, he's, Klinsman's going to have a full array of selection of players, okay? He's going to be less hamstrung than he was during the Gold Cup uh, minus injuries. So where do you go with this team, Neil? Uh, you've identified that possession, uh, that creating chances was a problem, keeping possession was a problem, uh, conceding chances is a problem, and, and, and the constant tinkering and change of formation is a problem. So let's talk about formation and let's talk about player selection. Let's start with the formation. How do you think uh, Klinsman should play this one? Well, I think they'll play, I, and I think they're going to play in this modified diamond that optimizes. Michael Bradley. It doesn't have Michael playing uh, as as far forward as he would as sort of like the tip of the diamond, like downing plays for West Ham or Jack Wilshire was trying to play last year, but you know, somewhat somewhat further back um, with some lateral help, whether that comes in the form of um, you know Kyle Beckerman and Shuttlers or whether that comes 
with Sasha Question even or someone like that. So, so uh, someone like Sasha Question or mixed disc group. So you, you don't have any wingers in that formation, correct? Your, your width's going to come from your fullbacks. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think Jurgen Klinsmann has found guys who are necessary. And, and you can get width from Fabian Johnson in that formation if you choose to move him to the midfield. But I mean, I think that we kind of can agree that Alejandro Bedoya is probably one of your best options on one side. And, you know, he's not really a pure winger. I mean, the U.S., yeah, the U.S. is going to get width from their fullbacks. Anytime you play, you could play a modified diamond or a pure diamond. It's still going to be, if your fullbacks are the better, the better fullbacks on the day, then the diamond sometimes can be very effective. And if they're not, then sometimes it can be very ineffective. Do you, do, you think, play, do you play with a guy like Beckerman at the tip of the diamond, or, or do you call in Danny Williams, or do you just have another boss to boss midfield? Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, you, you wonder if with World Cup qualifying starting one month later, Clemson's kind of boxed himself in because, yes, he wants to build and look towards the future, but he also has emphasized qualifying for this tournament. So do you make – this one particular match kind of a swan song for a Kyle Beckerman, or do you do you go to a Danny Williams who really hasn't played well against anyone other than Caribbean nations in a competitive setting? Um, or do you go to, to Morales? Um, oh, who hasn't, who hasn't really, yeah, I mean, he hasn't, he covers a lot of ground, but he hasn't really shown well in a U.S. shirt period um, other than running a lot. You know I mean? What do you, what do you do there? I think it's got to be Kyle Beckerman. He's been a very good player against Mexico. Um, that's a team that that his skill set is much better suited for than Jamaica. The U.S. have to be strong in defense to have any chance in this playoff, particularly playing what you've identified as correct. will be a functional road game at night against a bunch of Mexican fans who now have had a whole Saturday instead of an abbreviated Friday to get drunk. Yeah, right. So the October 9th to October 10th date change, Neil, I, I, you and I are on the same page here. I found that very significant. I thought that that was, uh, that was advantage Mexico by changing the date from the 9th to the 10th because uh, the 9th, I think the crowd would have been less uh, ruckus. Maybe uh, it, 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 it would have worked a, a little bit better for the U.S. Uh, now they have a, 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 a whole day to get lubricated, and it's going to be a hostile atmosphere. So let's say we're going Bradley – uh, a guy like Bradley Bedoya for sure, I think. And then if you look at uh, uh, the uh, the other two midfield positions, uh, Beckerman or that type of player, Sasha Kleisten, I like the thinking there. Very, very cultured, useful, box-to-box midfielder who for whatever reason, and maybe we'll get into this with Jurgen's preferences and thought process about the team in general, uh, for whatever reason hasn't been a, a, a favorite of this manager, has been uh, – even though he was playing Champions League football for Anderlecht not that long ago and has had a, a remarkable impact in Major League Soccer this year. I mean, I, I would I would argue New York, uh, Red Bull have not dropped off, even though they lost Thierry Henry and Kimmy Cahill because of Pleiston's play and also the play of Bradley Wright Phillips. And now they've got Sean Wright Phillips also, who, who's kind of like having a DP uh, in, in a sense uh, with that team. So let, let's look at the forwards. Is it, is it as simple as Dempsey Johansson? Or does Josie Altador have a shout here or somebody else maybe? I, I think it's as simple as Dempsey Johansson. Um, you know, maybe if Josie finds finds his form here in the next – I mean, I think Jurgen Klinsmann sent him home to kind of put him in timeout and say, hey, get, get your head right, get your game together, because it, it hasn't been right uh, for a year and a half. But 
when Josie Altidore is right, it's the closest thing the U.S. have had forward-wise to to a goal scorer, to a, a Brian McBride type. And they, they, you know, there are guys that the U.S. is going to find extraordinarily difficult to replace, period. Brian McBride has been one of those guys. Steve Chirundolo will be one of those guys um, and is probably already one of those guys. Josie Altidore winning form is the closest thing they can do to that. So, yeah, I think if he's playing well, he's going to get a look. He has to get a look. Would you, what do you think? Uh, I'm guessing that's the case. I mean, I, I, I think Johansson runs the channels well, but he, he's not necessarily a guy that's shown that he can score goals at this level. He doesn't give you, he doesn't give you something completely different as a look from Dempsey as, as Altidore would. And the U.S., it, it's so important to have that guy that holds up play. Uh, you mentioned Steve Chirundolo. Uh, this this gets to some of the selection headaches for Jurgen Klinsmann. He doesn't have a guy that's as experienced and has played at a, consistently at, at, at as high a level in the at, at a club in Europe as Steve Rondolo right now uh, in, in this national team. So uh, as we move forward, would you like to see more of these guys uh, try their luck in Europe at a younger age and? Uh, and, 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 and maybe try and stick through with, with a club. I mean, I don't know that we're going to have another American that plays 15 years for one club like Trumbull did, but uh, that's probably never going to – it just doesn't happen in, in this sport very much, American or non-Americans. But um, Trumbull went to Europe at a very young age, got into the Hanover system, and became a club legend. Uh, do we need to have more guys doing this uh, and, and going to the right clubs, not necessarily signing with, with big clubs like Spurs where you're never, where you're never going to play if you're DeAndre Edlin? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm i interested to see what, what Emerson Hyman does just because his he was a part of that, that U-20 side that probably was the first U-20 side to play well since Thomas Rongen's group did in 2007. Um, you know, I thought they played a really nice brand of soccer for most of their matches in New Zealand. Um, he's so highly – he's a highly technical player. He's really polished – in terms of, you know, his ability on the ball. And more importantly, I think at that age, just the way he reads the game is just understanding of what's happening around him, I think is highly advanced. And he says he wants to leave Fulham, to which I kind of respond, why? You know, playing time's guaranteed at Craven Cottage. Maybe he doesn't like his manager. Maybe he thinks the championship isn't where he can develop. But, you know, I would warn against going anywhere where you're not necessarily going to see the field for the reasons that you've identified. Um, maybe a Rubio Rabin is that kind of player at 19, you know, he's an interesting thought when it comes to October and this like debate between youth and veterans, because Rubin is another guy who can get out wide, who can get in the channels, who can set up a scoring forward, but maybe like Johansson isn't, isn't necessarily a goal scorer at heart. Um, do you give that kind of guy a look in a match that big? And Jurgen Klinsmann has proven to be one thing and above all, and that's pragmatic and to some extent conservative when the stakes are the highest. I mean, I just think it'll be vets then. But to answer your question, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. There are two or three players in Europe now. It will be interesting to see, you know, where they go and whether they stay at places like Fulham where they can grow. So, given that you think that it's going to be vets, do you think that means we're going to see DeMarcus Beasley again pulled out of international retirement, or I guess his international retirement now is, is over, 
it's open, whatever the case. Uh, he come back, play left back in that game. Brad Davis, who was called into this uh, to the Gold Cup, but then got injured. Who is a uh, even when he was a younger player was a very slow uh, player to play out on the wing, but he's a great crosser of the ball and, and, and hits a great dead ball with his left foot. A guy like him, do we are we going to see Brad Evans again at right back? Is this is Klinsman going to pick a squad that just gets him through this game or tries to get him through the game? So we're going to see a lot of these types of veteran players, uh, recycled players in, in some cases. Well, he has to fix the defense, okay? So, you know, John Brooks and Ventura Alvarado is not going to get the U.S. to the Confederation stuff. And if that's the the center back pairing when I'm staring down at the Rose Bowl on October 10th, I'm going to at least tell anyone around me that the U.S. is probably going to lose. Um, it, it needs to be – that's where you go with a Jeff Cameron um, who just showed exceptionally well for uh, – Stoke and is going to get plenty of chances with Ryan Shawcross hurt. Um, that's where, you know, you might look at Demarcus Beasley, who's playing really well for Houston, by the way, scored this weekend, um, knows those Mexico players, knows what they want to do out wide. If Gio Dos Santos is healthy, there's a guy that knows that Gio Dos Santos is going to in cut onto his right foot, right? <laughs> That's DeMarcus yep. B. Um, he's a guy who's going to know that um, Mexico likes to pump balls at the far post. You know, who's going to have that post covered? DeMarcus Beasley, just like he did against Ghana. So, yeah, I mean, I think Jurgen's going to go with veterans that he trusts. Um, does he trust Jeff Cameron? Well, he should over John Brooks, who's terrible in the air at 22, despite being 6'4". And Ventura Alvarado, who just gets abused 1v1 right now. Yeah, it's very odd, the Cameron situation, because he's here's the one player, uh, field player for the United States consistently playing in the Premier League, whether he's playing right back or center back. Yeah, he's generally playing right back, and, and Klinsman doesn't like him as right back. But he did play center back this weekend against Liverpool, as you mentioned, and he had a very good game. Shawcross is out. Shawcross is one of the best center backs in, in the Premier League, at least that doesn't play for a big club. And um, although some would argue Stoke is now a big club as an aside, they have more Champions League winners yeah. in their squad than any other team in England, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, but so I don't know why Cameron is, has never seemingly been played at center back for the United States. Is there something that between the lines that we don't know about? Because that would be an obvious choice. And then you, I think you go back to either Beesler or Gonzalez to pair with them, or maybe Jermaine Jones if he's fit. Yeah, I don't think it'll be Jermaine Jones. He just goes walk about too much. Um, but, you know, the other – I can pick on Brooks and Alvarado's, you know, individual flaws technically right now, and those things are going to get better. Both those guys are immense talents. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's something to be said. This is This goes back to the continuity point, though, doesn't it? I mean, who's played together? Who has an understanding? Beasler and Cameron – Beesler and Gonzalez, these guys have understanding. Jeff Cameron played extraordinarily well in at least one of the World Cup matches um, at that position. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting question as to whether or not, you know, I don't know if Jurgen Klinsmann doesn't trust him. I just think that Jurgen, again, this the tinkering, you know, he moves him around so much that maybe Jurgen doesn't know where he trusts him. He so, says, oh, Jeff Cameron is a good player, but where? Right, so he, he's got him in, in kind of the Benny Olsen mindset that 
that Bob Bradley and, and Bruce Reed yeah. and Olsen, and I don't know where to yeah. play him, but we, I want him on the squad because I can plug him in somewhere late in games. Uh, so let's talk about Klinsman. Let's transition here. You're talking about tinkering. He's got squad selection issues. He keeps making, uh, it seems, mistakes in, in, in squad selection, changes tactics frequently. He is also the guy responsible for the grand vision for U.S. soccer to get us from uh, this situation where we're we're getting out of the group in the World Cup with four points or five points, kind of this four-point-and-pray uh, uh, mentality, which has been pervading U.S. soccer since 2002. Four points and pray, get, you're going to get four points in a group and get out and, and hope you, you're set in second. Uh, to that next level, that's been his task. Now, he's got both the technical director's role and the coach's role. Is there... Is, are, are those two roles bleeding together? And if so, Neil, do, do you think that there needs to be some sort of uh, division between them? And is it possible for Jurgen Klinsmann to divide those roles and keep doing both those jobs properly? I don't think Jurgen would. I, I wish there was a way. I don't know if Jurgen Klinsmann would, would accept that. I don't know if Jurgen Klinsmann would say, you know what, I'm not going to manage the side anymore. I'm going to be the technical. Which I think in a perfect world would be would be splendid because every defense of Jurgen Klinsmann begins with, Hey, look at these guys he recruited or, Hey, um, you know, he's, he's, he's got a U 20 side that just played really well in New Zealand or, you know, it's a defense of something that is more linked to the technical director aspect of the job. And the reality is that two of the more bad losses in the history of, I don't want to say the history. Two of the more bad losses in the last 10 to 15 years of U.S. soccer have come with Jurgen Klinsmann as the manager. Um, if there's a banner win, it's a game in Natal where the U.S. was on the back foot in a rainstorm. Um, I just kind of gutted it out. Um, and I don't think it's time to fire which, the guy. Which, by, by the way, I, 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 no, I, I don't put a whole lot of possession statistics, as people know that yeah. listen to me for the years. But that's the uh, that that's the lowest possession a team that's ever won a World Cup match has had was the U.S. See, there, I mean, yeah, I mean, and a lot of it had to do with with the impossible decision about what to do when Josie Altidore pulled up right. the game and yeah, well, now that's when the game changed, right? I mean, the first twenty minutes the U.S. were in control, possession was about fifty-fifty or. Uh, slightly in the U.S.'s favor, up a goal, and then obviously that changes your entire. You built your team around Altidore for the World Cup, and he's out for the tournament at that point. So maybe right. you give him a mulligan. But, but that's that's yeah, you give him a half mulligan because of roster selection. But let's not go down the Landon rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> right, right. That's a subject. That's a topic for uh, a previous day. We're done. With yeah, and, and and you know, look, I mean. I think some of this Klinsman out stuff is, is, is premature. The U.S. won the 2013 Gold Cup. I thought Klinsman with Landon Donovan, oh, by the way, managed that tournament masterfully. Um, I thought that was some of the most fluid soccer in competition that the United States had ever played. Um, and full credit to Jurgen Klinsman for that. Um, because they won that tournament with Landon Donovan, they now have a chance to play in the Confederation Cup. Remember that for whatever the deal is with the rule change, you know, Bob Bradley was essentially dispatched because they didn't get to play in the Confederations Cup um, and lost to Mexico at the Rose Bowl. So this is a big game. And, you know, if the U.S. win that game, 
then I think it's hard to argue that Jurgen, the manager, shouldn't get the right to take the Americans into qualifying because then it'll be a matter of what are your objectives? Your objectives were to get out of the group of death, accomplished. Your objectives were to qualify for the Confederations Cup, accomplished. So he'll be two for two at like in-game objectives, if that makes any well, sense. It, do, it does, short-term objectives, but, but he's got responsibility for the long-term vision. And given that we have to go to a playoff game, whether he wins it or not, to qualify for the Confederations <laughs> Cup, is it time then, if he's not going to relinquish the head coach duties, to, to, to force him to hire a really good number two tactical manager, someone who can do some of the in-game management that seems to be lacking uh, with this uh, with, with this program? And, it, and, and if it is that time, who's the one that forces Jurgen Klinsmann to do that? Yeah, I mean, the second question is harder than the first. Um, because the answer to is it time to do that is it was time to do that when they brought in birdie votes four months before, before Brazil and in any country, as you very well know, in any other country other than the United States, that would have led sports center, you know, whatever that country's sports center is, you know, if Germany did that, it would have been the first story in the sports paper. It would have been the first story. in even in the English tabloids, and, and, and even among uh, American soccer fans, I think there was a lot of speculation, lead, even up until before this Gold Cup, that, okay, Birdie's not managing Azerbaijan anymore. He still was when, when he was brought in uh, right before the World Cup last year as a consultant. Uh, maybe he's actually going to manage the team, and, and Jurgen's going to go to the technical director spot. That hasn't happened, right? And it doesn't appear like it's going to happen. So then how? what's the process now for making something? Yeah. Happen? Exactly. And, you know, it's been time to do that. Um, 30 votes is not the answer. Um, I don't, it's not really my job to determine. Right. If you want short term results, maybe he's the answer. Other than the Scotland stint, he's got a very good record as a manager. Uh, but, he does. But it's not, again, if we're trying, we're taking long term objectives, you don't put a 70 year old in this job. No, and, and again, I, and I don't have any problem with him assigning Herzog to get through Olympic qualifying. Obviously, Caleb Porter was a disaster. I feel like Porter has spent most of his time in Portland trying to make up for it. Uh, well, do, and, do, you, do you attribute Porter's appointment to directly to Klinsman? Uh, that's an important question that, that a lot of people don't seem to want to answer. Ah, uh, you know, I mean, he was the tech. He was he was he the, he was not the technical director. Claudio Arena was, but it seemed like Porter was the. American coach, he was still an Akron at the time, of course, that Klinsman yeah. was most in love with, at least in his public I think, Yeah, I mean, I think that was Jurgen's. I think that was probably Jurgen's call. That's I mean, my guess. they hired Jurgen to make those kind of calls. And, um, you know, Porter's setup against Canada was terrible, and it was a disaster. The whole tournament was a disaster. And, you know, he's been fairly good in Portland. Uh, but... But, you know, I don't have a problem with Herzog, and I think Tab Ramos just did an excellent job in New Zealand. I mean, the U.S. were very unfortunate not to be in the semifinals. And uh, Serbia won, I believe. Right, Serbia won the tournament, so the U.S. very easily could have been in the finals. Who knows? A uh, lot of good performances there. So, uh, part two, who is the one who goes to Klinsman and says you need to do this? Is Sudil Galati hands-on enough or willing to – challenge Klinsman enough to do that, or is it going to have to be something pressure that comes from the U.S. soccer press, uh, much of which has been tuned out by, by Klinsman and the USSF? Yeah, I mean, I think it would have to be, I think it would have to be outside pressure, because that was, 
it was interesting in the in the in the aftermath of the loss to Jamaica. When Sunil Gulati attends a press conference, which is somewhat unusual, at least when I've been around the team. Um, usually when the team wins or loses, Gulati kind of stays in the hallway. Um, but he comes in to hear what Jurgen has to say. And then really says immediately, pretty much the next day, oh, well, you know, we don't. It wasn't even a vote of confidence because it wasn't as, like, cynical as that. It was just Jurgen's our guy and we're good. Um, and, you know, Jurgen is Sunil's guy. Jurgen's not U.S. soccer's guy, but, but that's who Sunil chose to lead the team. That's who he wanted when he made Bob Bradley the interim manager. And now he's got his guy. So Sunil Galati's probably not going to go and tell Jurgen Klinsmann, hey, you need to find a Yogi Lowe, um, or I'm taking managerial power away from you. Because Jurgen will say, that's fine. You'll owe me a lot of money, and I'll go hang out in California with my kid. <laughs> right, his kid, his kid, who of course I think he's now deleted his Twitter account, or at least uh, <laughs> is a tweet landed down on it anymore. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get to the uh, uh, the two big questions uh, before we close the show in a minute, Neil. But first, let me uh, let me give you uh, tell you quickly our listeners about Ravel.tv. If you're enjoying this episode of Divers and Cheats, or if you've enjoyed any of the programs we've had on Ravel, uh, it's time to give a shout out to the sponsor who's made this possible. Rabble.tv. If you're not familiar with Rabble, if you're listening to us live, you are. But if you're not familiar with Rabble, it's a completely new way of experiencing sports on TV. I know, Neil, you've, you've done this as well as I have. If there's a game on television, uh, you can you can mute the television and, and uh, listen to our broadcast. The next time you want to watch your favorite soccer team on television but you're tired of the announcers because you're biased against your team or simply aren't that good – Press the mute button and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to a real fan's audio broadcast of the game. So that means Liverpool fans who keep complaining about Tim Howard calling games because he's an Everton player, you can you can set up your own broadcast. And all the Liverpool fans can listen. Uh, if there isn't one available, broadcast available, you can create your own broadcast by switching on your mic and calling the match. It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out at Rabble.tv. With Rabble, you can listen to broadcasts on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. Plus, you can join in the conversation by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. So take a moment today to thank our sponsor, Ravel.tv, for making this broadcast and all the broadcasts we have here via World Soccer Talk possible. Getting back to this uh, subject, uh, Neil, what is, what is your sense about the, the, the tenability of uh, Klinsman's position should he lose this this match? If he loses this playoff match uh, to Mexico, is the heat so uh, hot in the oven that uh, he does step down from the, the head coach job and just does the technical director's job? Or do you think he doubles down? Or do you think there might be this reaction among U.S. soccer media and U.S. soccer fans that, okay, well, we didn't qualify, but now World Cup qualifying starts. Uh, maybe we'll have the centenario next year. Maybe we won't. Uh, no worries. Let's just keep going. What, what's your thought about how the reaction will be if he loses? Well, I think the two-part answer is there's one view that, that I would subscribe to, which would be it would be time to make a change and that Klinsman should be offered the opportunity to stay on as technical director, which I don't think he would accept, but I think that would be the, you know, I think in a, in, a, in a soccer nation where the president of the federation wasn't so interlinked to the manager and the success of the hire of the manager, then that would probably be what happens. Um, 
what I think will happen is that Klinsman will be sit on in the World Cup qualifying, and and that will be that, and that Sunil Galati will identify it as a setback and say, hey, the goal of of qualifying for Russia starts next month, and we feel like as a program we're headed in the right direction, and they'll point to the U-20s, and they'll likely point to a successful qualifying campaign at that point for the Olympics, um, which I think, you know, we certainly still have the players to, to qualify for the Olympics and, and to actually show fairly well there. Uh, you know, some of the U-20 guys are going to need to help the U-23s, but there's, there's enough players to put on a good show in Rio. Um, so I think the, the reality is there won't be a change. I think that, and, and, and let, me, let me ask you real quickly about that and then keep going on this. Does that mean that everybody who is a eligible U23 player for the United States, uh, even if they're integrated into this full national team, like a Ventura Alvarado, should be called in for Olympic qualifying? Yeah, I mean, I, this is a, that's the other tournament that Clemson put an emphasis on. When Caleb Porter failed, he said, we have to stop failing to qualify for these tournaments. Okay. They're, they're, they're absolutely essential. So that... That needs to happen. That's a, that's a referendum on him as a technical director, just like the U20 tournament was, and he and he passed with sailing colors, um, or or however that expression goes. I think I, just, I think I just butchered. Yeah, yeah but 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 uh, yeah. I mean, I think the only way Jurgen Klinsmann is fired realistically is if the actual qualifying campaign becomes problematic. Um, and I know maybe that's a really cautionary view, but that's how much affection I think Sunil Galati has for Jurgen Klinsmann or, and the idea of Jurgen Klinsmann. Yeah. The idea being an important thing, because there's this, there's this notion of what he is, at least in Sunil's eyes that uh, may not have been borne out in reality. Of his, now, yeah. There's, there's a disconnect. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this vision goes back to 2006 after the 2006 world cup when Sunil courted him. Uh, so it's been it's been nine a nine year uh, romance, even though the four years Clinton's been in the job may not necessarily bear out uh, uh, how Sunil envisioned it. But no, nothing's always no, no, things no. are never ideal. So taking Jurgen Klinsmann out of the picture now and just looking at the general program, if the U.S. fails to qualify for the Confederations Cup uh, and loses this playoff game to Mexico. Uh, would it be a disaster that sets the U.S. back for many years? Because since that 2011 Gold Cup final, also with the Rose Bowl, the U.S. has had the upper hand in CONCACAF over Mexico in terms of perception, in terms of level of play. Even, I think, in this Gold Cup, the general sense is Mexico, yeah, they won the Gold Cup, but they won it because of some screwy calls and, and, some, and some good luck, some really good luck. They didn't even win their group. The U.S. won their group. Trinidad won the group that Mexico was in. Feelings Mexico uh, may, may not have they, they, that they were very fortunate to beat Costa Rica and that they essentially stole the game from Panama. I mean, that, that mm -hmm. Panama won that game. Costa Rica didn't win the game against Mexico. It just could have gone either way if that call hadn't been made. But that essentially Panama beat Mexico. So there's still a perception that the United States might be better than Mexico, uh, even though Costa Rica obviously got further than the United States or Mexico in the World Cup and Jamaica got further than the United States in the Gold Cup. But if, the, if he loses, well, again, we're taking Klinsman out of this. If the United States loses to Mexico on home soil in a one-off competitive match, where does that leave the program? And it would it be perceived as a disaster that it will take 
uh, until maybe beating Mexico in the hex to get out of uh, a year and a half later? I mean, how, how will it be perceived? Yeah, I mean, it's a setback. I, you know, I don't think, I think we threw around these words like disaster or, you know, failure. Even I used failure earlier a little too often, although I think my use of failure applied to the Gold Cup, which is accurate. Um, you know, it's, it's a setback if, if the Americans don't, don't win. It would be a loss to Mexico on home soil, regardless of the composition of the fan base. It would be the first loss to Mexico in 1,500 days. And it would be a chance to, it would be, yeah, I think it would signal sea change in, in the region. I know Pablo Wancho is no longer the manager of Costa Rica, but they'll find a, they'll find a manager and they'll get healthy around the same time. Right. Okay. Right. And, 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 they're, and they're feeling the effects of letting Pinto go. Right. Let's face it. But they'll, of course. But maybe this is a do-over for them. Maybe this works out for them that Wancho's gone and they can find another Pinto. Right. Yeah, well, the, the Wancho brawl is, is a windfall as opposed to the the uh, the Herrera brawl is 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 a disaster. For Mexico, right? Potentially one. Right, one short thing. I think let's face it. I think the Costa Rican Federation probably was looking for a way to get rid of them anyway. So they they have to be relieved. Um, yeah. And now they'll get a chance to hire a manager that will have the full complement of players. And I think when you look at Costa Rica, you have to think the full complement of their players is probably at least starting eleven wise is the better. The best starting eleven in Concacaf, at least yeah, right now. Correct. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. And and so you know this is a chance for the U.S. to say, well, no, it's not because not only did we take the Gold Cup in 2013, but now we're the Confederations Cup representative. And then you get a couple years for the Confederations Cup to see how a couple guys that are close develop. I mean, is Rubio Rubin a better player? Um, can uh, can Heinemann help you? I mean, they're you know, there's a lot of of how much De Brooks and Alvarado develop. So, you know, it's a, it's an enormous game, and it's an interesting game because you're going to use veterans to kind of parlay a future tournament for your younger group. That's going to be the group that leads you into Russia. That's one of the dilemmas in international football. Always, uh, uh, Neil, we we saw it with uh, Bob Bradley hanging on to a couple of guys in, in 2009, Frankie Haydock and and. Uh, Connor Tasty and, and, and Brian Ching in order to qualify, but had no intention of taking any of those guys to the World Cup. And that's just one of the dilemmas. You qualify with veterans, and and, and then uh, when the, when the, when the tournament comes, the big event comes, you you you, you spring uh, spring kids, and uh, that's just been kind of been the, the cycle with uh, with U.S. soccer. I, I think uh, uh, Stevie Ralston played in the most games in qualifying for the 2006 World Cup, and then wasn't taken to the tournament uh, by Bruce Arena, um, but. Is that is that something Jurgen Klinsmann subscribes to? Does he subscribe to the idea that you can qualify with one set of guys and then take another set of guys uh, to the to a World Cup or to a Confederations Cup? Or is he uh, uh, is this the is this the time uh, having failed at the Gold Cup? And I know we we're throwing around words like failure, right? But he did fail at the Gold Cup with largely a veteran squad, except for the two center backs. Uh, is this right. when he bloodlets the kids? I mean, are we going to see? Uh, uh, a Rubio uh, Rubin in this game? Are we going to see a Jordan Morris in this game? Are we going to see an Emerson Hindman in this game? Is it, is it possible that those guys are going to actually feature against Mexico? Gosh, I wouldn't think so. I, and Rubio Rubin would be the only guy that I think could play. Um, and that's just because the U.S. situation at forward is dire. Right. Um, you know, 
it's just it's just a giant help wanted sign. I don't think Jordan Morris coming off some surgery and just getting his legs back under him in in the Pac-12 gauntlet. <laughs> you throw out there for the Confederations Cup playoff match. So no, on I don't the West think Coast at least. Yeah, yeah, it's not a very far drive. Well, it's not too far, I guess. Um, but you know, what's interesting is is the first question about you know sort of Klinsman's loyalty because he he's, he was relatively loyal with his squad selection for for Brazil. I mean, save save Julian Green and John Brooks, DeAndre Edlin. Yeah, and DeAndre Edlin. It was a relatively predictable. Um, you know, it was well, Brad Davis. I mean, that was a funny one. I mean, I never thought I'd see that guy play for the U.S. in the World Cup. And he was one of those guys that said, okay, he's qualifying, but he'll never be on a World Cup squad. And yeah. Linsman took him. Linsman took yeah. Graham, Graham Zussi, even though I, I think we thought maybe the World Cup was beyond a guy like Zussi. So he, he basically stuck with the same team with those, except in those three young players we mentioned. Yeah, and thank God he took Graham Zussi because there yeah. wasn't anybody else that gets the ball to John Brooks and Natal. You know, somebody has to deliver that ball. And, right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so he, he was relatively loyal. Um, you know, I thought Bob Bradley was relatively loyal as well. But Bob had, Bob had less to work with in terms of just size of player. Pool. Yeah. Yeah, and, and after the Charlie Davies accident, uh, the, 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 the forward situation was thrown at the tumult, and, and the U.S. never solved that. The U.S. did not solve that situation during the remainder of Bradley's tenure. You could argue it still hasn't been solved. But uh, no, Bradley started trying solved. various forwards. He did, and he tried ones that made sense, to his credit. He, he tried players that fit the counterattacking style of play that, that he wanted. But, yeah, Jeff Cunningham, well, yeah. Edson Bunnell, et cetera. The U.S. scored two of the most technically beautiful goals probably in Federation history with Bob Bradley as their manager. One against Brazil in the uh, Confederations Cup final, and one against Mexico at Azteca. And those goals involved Charlie Davies, and there's a reason that you know, um, there's a reason it was difficult to replace him. Before the accident, he was just a really brilliant counterattacking piece for for Bradley. Jurgen Klinsmann, as a pragmatist, doesn't really have that type of indispensable player, except. Of course, he did at the World Cup last year, which is why he's such a mysterious manager. <laughs> yes, and, he, and maybe he, he creates pressure points on purpose with some of these players, uh, which is... Right. Uh, go ahead. Right. No, I was just saying, yeah, I'm right. It, it, it seems his public comments are always designed uh, for some sort of reaction. So, uh, Neil, thank you for being with us. And, and, and for those of you who've been listening here on Rabble.tv and World Soccer Talk. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, 6 p.m. Eastern. Again, sorry for the, the, the slight technical glitch that got us started three or four events late today. Uh, here at Rabble.tv and World Soccer Talk, 6 p.m. Next Thursday, Divers, another episode of Divers and Cheats. Enjoy your weekend of football, whether it be in NASL or MLS or the Premier League or the Bundesliga starting tomorrow with Bayern Munich on Fox Sports 2. Uh, or any other league around the world. So once again, I'm Frederick Krishnire, and enjoy your football. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.